you have your Bible this morning, I want to um, invite you to the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, we'll be in chapter 1. We're going to wrap up this series today called Tell Your Story. First uh, Timothy chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, uh, let me encourage you, you can just mosey to the back there. Sneak if you need to sneak, but mosey to the back. There's uh, Bibles on the sides of the tech booth. You can grab one of those, borrow it if you need to borrow it, and if you need to take, a, take it with you because you don't have a Bible that you can read and understand, please feel free to grab one of those and take it with you. It is our gift to you. Uh, we will be glad to buy more Bibles. Right, church? Darn straight. Um, so if, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, we'll read the text here in just a minute. Uh, before we get there, I just wanted to um, try to put a bow on this thing, uh, this whole idea about tell your story. Uh, this is the fourth week now where we've taken uh, the opportunity uh, to pause, to think um, on these lines that God has given us, <clears throat> every one of us, a unique story to tell. Uh, your story is not my story. My story is not your story. Your story over here is not your story over here. That's fine. That's not the big issue. Uh, the issue is when, since, excuse me, since God has given us a story, when those opportunities present themselves, do we speak up? Do we uh, speak out? Do we tell our story? Uh, as a church family, we believe the Bible and we believe that God has given us some important things to do. One of those major important things is to let other people know about what he has done for them in Jesus. And so we've kind of strategized this in three different tiers. Uh, if you're sick of hearing about this, I'm really glad, like really glad, uh, really glad. The base level of that is this kind of culture of invitation where we regularly, normally, uh, just as a part of our conversation, consistently invite people to church. Hey, do you go to church anywhere regularly? Yeah, I go over here. Oh, I hear that's great church. Do it. Uh, if, if they say no, then man, we'd love to have you some morning in Harris Park. We meet at 830 and 11. We've got little invite cards there at the back. You can grab one of those and take them with you and just give it to them, put something in their hand. But we would be consistent, uh, normal inviters. It would show up in our conversations just as normally is talking about uh, spring training pitchers and catchers getting started or uh, basketball is happening right now or whatever. Whatever uh, is kind of your thing, whatever it may be, it would show up just as normally uh, in conversation as the other things that we talk about. How's work? Oh, da, da, da. How's church? Oh, da, da. It just shows up. That's kind of the base level for us. And again, like last week, I want to applaud and say, good job, church family. We're, cons we're getting this. It's, it's, it's really starting to uh, resonate in a lot of you, really working in a lot of you. And so I want to cheer you on in that. Please continue to do that. Uh, there are tons of folks around here who need to know that Jesus is in charge of the world and that he has beaten sin and death on their behalf. And one of the easy, quick ways that we can start that conversation is by inviting them to church. The second part is where we've been focusing on tell our story because God has given us unique stories to tell uh, that we would have the opportunity to do that. Oftentimes you find that when you get into a conversation about church, hey, do you want to come to church with me sometime? Oh, I, you know, I don't really do church because rattle off their three or four best things. And you say, golly, your story sounds a lot like mine. You know, there was a time when, and you just kind of offload your stuff. Or, hey, you know, one time I was really struggling with blah, 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 and you unload this, and this is a great opportunity to tell your story. And what that does is when you, get, when you um, invite people to church regularly and when you take the opportunities that present themselves to tell your story, it so often leads to an opportunity to share the gospel because it's not an invitation to church that saves anybody and changes anybody's life. Transformation doesn't happen when I invite somebody to church. Transformation doesn't happen even when I tell my story. Transformation happens when people hear the gospel and respond. So we get the opportunity to look at somebody in the eye and say, hey man, Jesus died for you. And he carried your sins and he took your punishment and he rose again to give you life. And if you respond to him in faith, 
If you believe that and give your life to him, he'll forgive you, set you free, and give you eternal life. Do you want to do that? And there will be people who say, man, you're crazy. Just drink your coffee and go on about your business. Uh, There will be people who say, I've never heard that before. Can I think about that? And then there will be people who say, if you don't give me that right this second, I'm going to find I've got to have it, and I've got to have it now. And that's 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 how people respond, man. That's okay. Let them. <laughs> Just be faithful to invite people to church, tell your story, and share the gospel when those opportunities present themselves. So I want to wrap up today with a very specific principle, a very specific exhortation, and I'm going to try to model that for you here shortly, uh, but I wanted to get into it via this text. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 12. Uh, we, we, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Paul's story. And so I want to just say this is familiar territory. If you've been here with us in this series, if this is not familiar territory to you, man, you got great news coming. I just want you to know, uh, verse 12, 1 Timothy 1, verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord. In case you're wondering who the him was, that's Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. Anybody use the word insolent in a sentence this week? Anybody? No, one, no, no, nobody. What a great description. I mean, like I wasn't just an opponent. I was an insolent opponent. And some of you right now are like, Siri, what does insolent mean? We'll leave that there. Okay, uh, it's, it, it, here's the thing, though. This is where Paul's story starts. It's, his story starts exactly where my story starts and your story starts, that we were all, every one of us, God opponents. We were on the other side. We had pledged ourselves to the wrong team. We had flown our lives under the wrong flag. I mean, this is where it all started for us. So he says about himself, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor and not just an opponent. I was an insolent opponent. And what he means by that is his life prior to Christianity was filled with not only trying to uh, um, uh, not let Christianity and the message of Jesus spread, but he wanted to crush it. He wanted to stamp it out exactly where it was. So he's saying, oh man, that's that's, that's where I was. All of us were separated from God because of our sin. Uh, my sin looked different than Paul's. Your sin looked different than mine. Uh, but this is the truth. We're all on the wrong team here. Every one of us. We're God opponents. That's where our story starts. Verse 14, uh, excuse me, the middle of verse 13, just after insolent opponent there. But I received mercy. Pity, I had the pity of God, the mercy of God, because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace, listen to this description, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. Not a trickle, folks, not just fairy dust, but a tr- uh, an overflow. Overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So he started his life as a God opponent, but then because Jesus intercepted his life, he was a mercy receiver. He was somebody who just like a sponge, just, I mean, God just stuck him down Uh, into the waters of overflowing mercy and grace and pulled him out and he's just soaked it all up, man. I am a receiver of mercy. Why? Because he deserved it? No. Why? Because he was such a great guy and so smart? No. There's nothing, in fact, that you can do to to deserve God's mercy. That's why it's called mercy. You don't earn mercy. There's nothing he did. You don't earn mercy. It's it's mercy. It's, It's freely given. God, out of his heart, out of his love for you and for me and for Paul, he gave Jesus for us so that we could be receivers of God's mercy. Jesus is the conduit of grace, uh, of the grace of God to you and to me, and the proof of his love for you and for me. And so when we talk about mercy receivers, we're talking about Jesus. 
Because he died on the cross for our sins. He rose again to give us life. Everybody who puts their trust in him is, is forgiven and set free and given life eternal. What a great thing. We're mercy receivers, just like Paul. If that's not part of your story this morning, man, I want to say to you, good news is here. If you turn from your sin and put your trust in, in Christ, turn from your, the old, old things that are you and, and give your life over to him, he'll receive you just as you are and take you in and you too will be a receiver of his mercy. And it didn't stop there. Verse 15, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Amen to that? You know why? Because there's nobody else around. Like, he came into the world to save sinners, because that's who we all are. He came in the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy. Don't miss this, and this is the thing I want to stick with. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost... Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Um, so just clear here, he, he's saying, uh, listen, all of, that, all of that stuff that I did, all of that persecution that I did, all of that uh, opposing God, all of that not only not letting the gospel spread stuff, but all of the stuff that I was doing to try to crush that movement, to, to, to try to crush Christianity in its nascent stages, all of that stuff, me, the foremost of sinners, God had mercy on me because he wanted to demonstrate this, that if he could be patient and have mercy on that kind of guy, he could be patient and have mercy on you. He was a purposeful example. Paul holds himself up and says, hey, look, look at what a screw up I was and think about how God had mercy on me. And if he could have screw up on a mercy, if he could have mercy on a screw up like me, then he could have mercy on a screw up like you too. See? Everybody says amen to that. Here's why. Here's why. Because deep down, deep down inside of us, here's what we know. Here's what we know. I need that. I need that mercy. I need that grace from God. And I don't want to be disqualified from that. And Paul's saying, look, if all of the stuff that went on in my life and all the ways that I stood opposed to God and all the ways that I was sinning against God and all the ways I was fighting against what God was actually doing, if God could have mercy on that kind of guy, then look, he can have mercy upon you too. He was a purposeful example. The, the story of Paul, this purposeful example, is this. He, he says, this has happened to me so that I can say this. This has happened to me, all of this other stuff, so that I can say God has mercy on all kinds of people. And when it comes to you and me and us getting the opportunity to tell our stories, we ought to be able to say however long we have and however, uh, whatever snippet of our story that we get the opportunity to tell, we ought to be able to say, this has happened to me so that I can say this. This went on in my life so that I can say this. I wouldn't want to go through that again. I wouldn't choose that again. But this went on in my life so that I can stand now or sit now or talk to you now or write to you now or whatever now and say this. And that's what I want you to take away this morning. Every one of us has been given a story, a unique story, and every one of those is filled. Those stories are filled to, uh, uh, with God's story because he wants to make you and me a purposeful example. And so... Um, with a little consternation and fear and trembling, I want to try to demonstrate this for you this morning out of my story. Uh, 
My story actually starts before I got here, like before I was even a twinkle. Uh, because there was a sister. I had a sister. Uh, older brother, seven years older. Uh, there was a sister about uh, three years beneath him. And she, at 18 months old, uh, contracted spinal meningitis and died. And, uh, you know, if many of you in here uh, have experienced loss. Some of you have experienced the loss of a child. And you know how devastating and how hard that is. Uh, Tracy uh, went to be with the Lord at 18 months old. And uh, my mom and dad, as they were in the grieving process, got to the point where they're like, do we do this again? Do we, what do we do here? They kind of said yes. And my mom tells me this. And I was with her this weekend. She told me this. Like, um, I, I, I sat and I opened to the book of Samuel. And like Hannah, I just prayed and I said, God, if you'll give me a child, this child will be yours. A couple years later, here I came. Um, and just the cool part of that story. I wasn't around, I just, but it's part of my story. God, because, because of the things that had happened, I just dedicated to the Lord. Uh, somewhere along the lines of uh, kindergarten, first grade, somewhere right in there, um, uh, I, I had a really bad speech impediment. Uh, lisping, couldn't L's, S's, R's, M's, some of those just really struggle with that. A little bit of a stutter uh, to go along with it. Um, and and had some therapy to work through that and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, it, it, and now I talk to people for a living. I want to demonstrate this. This happened to me so that I could say this to you. Whatever your story was and whatever it is does not mean that's where it ends. My story started in tragedy long before I was even on the scene. And it had struggles along the way Whatever your story was, whatever it is, it does not mean that that's how your story ends. Uh, to quote Chance the Rapper at the Grammys, the book doesn't end with Malachi. Some of you are like, did that guy just quote Chance the Rapper? Whatever your story was, whatever it is, it does not, it's not how it ends. It doesn't have to be how it ends. Um, uh, somewhere along the lines of about seven years old, um, my, uh, I grew up in church. I mean, I literally got left at church one time, 902 or something, as the, as the story comes to be. A, f- a few minutes after nine o'clock, the phone rings at my house. Uh, Mr. Henderson, are you going to come get Trent? You left him in the nursery. It is nine o'clock. Huh. I thought you got him. Nope, I didn't get him. I thought you got him. Eh, just feed him some goldfish. He'll be fine, you know. You wonder why I am the way that I am. There you go, right there. I grew up. I mean, I grew up around church. Um, but uh, somewhere about seven years old, um, uh, I, I was, I had a friend. His name was Brian. Uh, he was riding his bike. A car hit him, and he died. Uh, it messed me up, man. Seven years old, stuff like that ought not happen. You know what I mean? Like people who deal with grief and death at that age, it's just a struggle. It was a struggle for me. I remember just being on my mom and dad's bed, just going, what in the world? Why is this happening to me and all the emotions that come with that, not knowing where to channel those and all this kind of stuff? And here's what I know spiritually, um, that uh, uh, people, when they died, they either went to heaven or hell, and I didn't want to go to hell. 
I knew the way to not go to hell is to go to heaven to be with Jesus. So um, I prayed and I received Jesus and let him forgive me of my sin and uh, let him take over my life and come into my life. I was baptized shortly thereafter. I, I certainly didn't understand it all, but man, oh man, let me tell you, um, I just knew uh, that I, I did not um, want to be want to have to face death and not be ready for it. Um, and so I, I prayed to receive um, Jesus early on, and, and uh, man, it was it, it that, that was a moment for me. Uh, as I said, I grew up in the church, grew up with some good teachers, and that kind of thing. I hit junior high, and junior high is rough. Is junior high rough? Anybody? Hey, junior high rough, anybody? Uh, it's rough. I mean, it just is. Uh, anybody want to pay to, or if, if we offered you a million bucks, would you go back to junior high? No. That 10 million? No, you wouldn't do it for that either. Uh, you just wouldn't go back because it's just rough, right? It's just rough. The church that I grew up in, uh, and, and, the, and some of... Um, uh, some of the influences in my life, let me say it that way, some of the influences in my life looked like this. They had a life, and then they wrapped their faith around it. And so uh, when junior high came, that's, that was kind of how I had lived and stuff. So when junior high came, my life was athletics, basketball and tennis. And so um, because basketball and tennis was the center, uh, you know, I just wrapped my faith around it. Whenever my faith fit into basketball, great. And whenever uh, it didn't, well, no big deal. Um, Somewhere along the lines of about eighth grade, um, I actually saw him yesterday, funny enough. Um, uh, my friend John moved to town, and John was really different. Uh, John had his life wrapped around his faith instead of his faith wrapped around his life. And I thought, that's very different than what I've seen. I think I actually... The deal is on that... The, the satisfaction level spiritually was so low that I had to replace it with a hundred other things, right? That, that's good. You know, just cram all of this stuff into that God-shaped void in my life instead of just letting God fill the God-shaped void in my life. The way I talk about it is I wrapped my faith around my life. John lived such that he wrapped his life around his faith. That happened to me. Don't miss this. That happened to me so that I can say to you today, if you are experiencing a level of dissatisfaction in your spiritual life, I'm saying to you, are there parts of your life that are, un, uh, that are not submitted to God, that, that are, they are unsatisfying because they're not submitted? We live in a way that we think that freedom is getting to do what I want. I'm saying, God says, the way of freedom is doing what he wants. I didn't live that way. I didn't even see anybody live that way until John came along. I'm saying that happened to me so that I could say to you, true freedom comes in obedience. True freedom comes in obedience. Uh, I was 11 years old, playing with my neighbor. Uh, we were playing in his garage. Again, I'm trying to model this for you, okay, because you're going to get an opportunity to tell this story. Tell your story, not mine, your story this week. Uh, I was 11 years old, playing in my neighbor's garage. We were, I don't know, chasing a ball or doing something. I don't even remember. We got back in the far recesses of the garage where all the you know, dust is and whatever. We start messing around back there. Is it back here? What, uh, there's, a, there's a workbench. There's a box. Pull the box out. Uh, it's got Playboy magazines in it. It was the stash. Uh, that, at 11 years old, was the place where the enemy sunk his talons into my life, right there with that issue. Uh, and it took years years to pull those things out, to, to live in freedom from that. Uh, 
Part of that is because it was sin and I liked it. That's the danger of sin, right? I mean, there's always some portion of it that you like. Thus, Eve, when she's in the garden, she looks at the fruit and goes, this is actually delightful to the eyes. Part of it was I just liked it. There were times when I liked it. Part of it was the shame of it. Um, I, I'm a middle kid. There's an older brother and then a younger brother. I'm a middle kid, so I'm a pleaser by nature. Like I never want anybody to think poorly of me, and I never want to be wrong about anything. Uh, the, the positive way, the good spiritual way that that expresses itself, and I'm like, self-diagnosed enough to, to, diagnosed enough to know this, but uh, the positive way that this expresses itself is I can be really patient in relationships uh, and try to let God work some things out so that I don't have to go in with a sledgehammer. Uh, the, the really negative and um, uh, sinful way that that works its way out is I can be really passive. That's it. So in my particular case, this was because there was shame associated with this. I didn't want anybody to know. I didn't want anybody to know. So I would try to fight it off in the dark. Uh, And you don't fight in the dark. You get beat up in the dark. That's what happens. Uh, And so for years, years and years, I mean, I would just... So let me just tell you these two things. This happened to me so that I can say this. Sin, you don't flirt with that stuff, man. Particularly that sin, people think, ah, look, it's just a computer screen. I mean, it's not hurting anybody. No, 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 no. It's hurting somebody. You first, and then the consequences of it go way further than you could ever imagine. Don't flirt with sin. The Bible uses language like this about sin. Uh, Put to death the deeds of the flesh. If by the Spirit you are killing off your sinfulness, then you will live. Now, it seems pretty serious. Jesus comes along and says crazy stuff like, if your right eye causes you to sin, just gouge it out. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Is he serious about this stuff? Does he literally want, just, does he literally want you to No, that's not what he's after, but he wants you to be serious about it. He wants you to be serious about it. Don't flirt with sin. Don't flirt with it. It's easier now, particularly that issue, it's easier now to get than ever before. It shows up on your phones right now if you want it to. Don't flirt with sin. Uh, The second part is the shame part, though. The shame part, um, I I, I grew up in a small town in East Texas, and um, we had this saying, sunlight is the best disinfectant. You put stuff out there, then you can deal with it. I wanted to fight in the dark. And that's why I kept kicking my tail for years, for years, for years. Uh, instead, you put it out there in the light, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, it's not as big and as scary as you think it is, and you've got people around you who can help you and hold you accountable, all these kinds of things. Like, you can fight, and you can fight against sin, but the shame part, the shame part is the part that, that will get you, because the enemy will use both of those to keep you in this spiral. Don't do it. Don't do it. This happened to me so that I could stand here and tell you, if you're carrying sin and if you're carrying shame, good news. Jesus carried both of those and you don't have to carry any of it. He beat sin at the cross. And the Bible says in Colossians 2 that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame on your behalf. You don't have to carry that. Because of Jesus, you don't have to. Shame is a powerful force. Don't flirt with sin. You don't, you don't have to carry it. 
Um, I, I was in that junior high awkward uh, thing somewhere between my uh, eighth and ninth grade year. Um, a guy named Steve was our camp pastor at youth camp. And uh, the church I grew up in, the pastor was very up here, like super up here. And uh, this guy named Steve, he's still a pastor in the Metroplex area. Um, he preached a sermon on Philippians 4.13. I remember it so distinctly because it was like a lightning bolt. I can almost take you to the exact seat where I was sitting. Uh, but he lit it up from Philippians 4.13. And I thought, that dude just helped me understand the Bible like nothing I've ever heard before. Wouldn't it be awesome to help other people understand the Bible like that cat just helped me understand the Bible? And that was the first step for me in a call to ministry. And there were multiple other steps and some hardships along the way and difficult conversations with my parents, so much so that um, I had to beat my dad in ping pong and then tell him that I was changing my major. Hey, while you're you know, humble pie here, let me just tell you what's about to happen. Because I went in as a computer science major. Thank you for all of those who know me and laugh, because that's about right. Dude, I could program some Pascal, but past that, I was toast, all right? I was bad news bears. Um, so speech was a better thing for me, much, much better for me. Um, uh, you know, there were challenges along the way. Um, I tell you that story, though, about Steve lighting it up from Philippians 4.13 to say this. You, I, I'm, that happened to me, a purposeful example. That happened to me so that I could stand here and say this. You never know the impact of your faithful obedience. I wrote him a letter years ago. I said, hey, listen, you don't know me from Adam. You preached. God moved. I'm pastoring a church now. I just want you to know, all of you in some way, in some manner, for any benefit that you get from me being the pastor here, all of you are recipients of that dude lighting it up from Philippians 4.13, something like 30 years ago. You never know the impact of your faithful obedience. Well, I'm not a preacher. We don't care about preaching. We're talking about you just being faithful to whatever God says to do. You never know the impact of what you're going to, uh, how God is going to use your faithful obedience to impact somebody else. I tell you that so that I can stand here and say, your faithful obedience matters. Um, there were people along the way who poured into my life. Um, one of them was named Lillian Nimmo, Miss Nimmo. Uh, she was old when I was in second grade. She taught second grade Sunday school for 50 years. If anybody can earn their way into heaven, 50 years of second grade Sunday school will get it done. That's all I'm saying. Uh, a few years ago, uh, six or so now, uh, years ago, I got to go up and be part of her funeral. She stepped into glory at 99 years old. Oh, come on. It was glorious. It was glorious. Every time. I talked to Miss Nimmo, and I did. I talked to her. I saw her three weeks before she passed. Every time I talked to her, oh, Trent, I've been praying for you. <laughs> Every time I talked to her, I've been praying for you. Oh, I've been praying for you. Miss Nimmo, thank you. Thank you. I'm a better man because of that. Uh, in college, I had the opportunity to, it was crazy, uh, put way too many miles on my car. 
there was a guy who was um, involved with the Navigators, and um, his name was Dave Dawson. Um, I, I would drive up every Monday. I'd get out of class. I'd hoof it up to Louisville from Waco. A couple of hours in the car, drive up, spend all afternoon with Dave, eat dinner with Dave and Mary, his wife. Uh, we'd spend a little bit, and then I'd, I'd jump in the car and drive back to Waco for a whole year. And Dave would just pour into me and 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 pour into me. So much of what I talk about and how I think and how I'm shaped and what I think, so much happened because Miss Nimmo prayed and Dave Dawson was willing to spend Monday afternoons with an arrogant college student. That happened to me so that I can stand before you and say this. So many of you have other things to you have things to offer people. You've got wisdom in you, and experience in you, and story in you, and power in you, and authority in you that you can share. We've talked about this multiple times before. I won't spend a lot of time on it. Some of you who are uh, have a let's have a few more miles on your tires than others. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, look down a generation or two. And say, how can I help? How, how, can I, how can I be a part of this? How can I do something here? How can I uh, uh, shape this person? How can, I, you know, there, there's a young mom over there. I, I wonder if they'd like to go to coffee someday. Uh, hey, there's a young dad over there. Looks like he doesn't know what the heck is going on. I, I wonder if I could just, just step, into, uh, his, uh, step into his world and, and, you know, buy him lunch someday. Or uh, here's a guy who's raising teenagers, and I remember raising teenagers, and goodness, what in the world? And just take that guy to lunch. I mean, whatever it may be. You can just look down a generation or two and make a difference. Here's why. Um, because the most important, I, those things happened to me so that I could stand before you and say this, the most important investment that you make will not be in your 401k or anything else. The most important investment that you will make will be in someone, not something. Someone, not something. Uh, I'll, oh, shoot, I don't know. Let me, I'm looking at the time. Let me, just, let me do at least one more. Um, I'm trying to model this for you. And I, I want you to walk away thinking, what a great God. In my own life, in, in the lives of those around me, what a great God. Um, I was a senior at Baylor. Uh, I had gone back to um, Waco just a couple of uh, days before class started. I actually called home. I was like, hey, mom, I forgot something or something. I need to talk to dad for a second. Can I talk to dad? He's not here. He's gone. Uh, okay, that's weird. Where'd he go? Like Walmart? Where'd he go? No, you don't understand, Trent. He's gone. gone. He's gone. I'll be home just as quick as I Don't come home. You got school. Don't come home. I'm okay. Go to class. We'll talk. We'll talk in a couple of days. Pick up the phone. Pick up the phone. Dad's number. Ring, ring, ring. Doesn't answer. Ring, ring, ring. Doesn't answer. I bet I called him 25 times that day. Finally get a hold of him. I'm like, hey, man. What's the deal? It's just not going to work out. My dad moved out for a month, um, eventually moved back in. Spring semester of my senior year at Baylor was tumultuous, all sorts of craziness, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. Um, wild. I remember being home. I think it was at Easter. It was in April. I do remember that part. Outside, washing the car, talking to my dad about stuff, and I just looked him square in the face um, and said, hey, listen, I just got to know. Is there somebody else? 
no, Trent, there's nobody else. Four weeks later, caught with somebody else. Uh, so now, I had a dad who was blowing up our family, who was an adulterer, and who had looked at me dead in the eye and lied to me. Uh, that was between, I graduated on a Saturday. My little brother graduated two, fr- uh, two Fridays later. It was that weekend in between, that weekend. And um, I know there's a couple of law enforcement officers in here. When I got the call from my brother who said, hey, listen, he just got caught with somebody else. You need to get home. It's 120, it was about 126 miles and some change from my front door to my front door in Huntsville. I made it in 90 minutes. Don't tell anybody I said that, Okay. I was driving faster than is legal. Uh, It was very quick getting home from Waco. Big blow up, confrontation, threats being made, jumped a coffee table. Uh, I mean, it was ugly. Uh, uh, Ugly. And as things unfolded and as the story happened, and this is, that happened to me. And one of the things I want to tell you out of that, something crystallized in my mind. It just got so clear. The best definition of success is faithfulness. That's true of me as a man. It's certainly true of me as a pastor. It's definitely true of me as a husband and as a dad. One of the great temptations is to, that the enemy will lay out this ladder of success that you want to climb and climb and climb until you get high enough that he knocks you off and you take people with you as you go down. The greatest and most uh, important uh, and most, in my mind, most biblical definition of success is faithfulness. That happened to me so that I can stand here and say to you, when you stand before Jesus and give an account for your life one day, he's not going to ask how high you got up in the org chart. He's not going to ask what your 401k was. He's not going to ask any of those things. He's going to ask, were you faithful to the things that I gave you to do? I'm going to stop. Because I want to give you time for this. You're going to get an opportunity this week to tell your story. And it's so important for you to be able to say, this happened to me so that I could tell you this. This happened to me so that I could tell you this. So I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to give just some time, just some quiet moments for just a minute to let you jot down This episode in my life happened so that I could be able to say this. This episode happened to me so that I could be able to say this. Some of those episodes are really positive and some of them are pretty dark. But either way, you can say, this happened to me so that I could say this. So I'm going to pray. band's going to come back up and just give us some cover music because we don't like silence. Give us some music here and just let us reflect for just a moment. And then we'll stand and sing and we'll pray as a church as we've been doing and just set some things before the Lord and then we'll uh, have some other time to respond and do. So let's, let's start by praying together. 
Here's what I know, God. Uh, I, I believe that you've spoken to the people this morning. Uh, I believe that your word uh, has gone forth. And now what I'm praying for is that it would reach its fulfillment. It would reach its culmination in somebody's life by bearing fruit. That in this, even in this exercise, this little moment here where we pause and take some time to reflect, that it would, uh, you would speak in such a way and bring clarity in such a way and, and uh, bring help in such a way and even courage in such a way that they would be able to deal with the stuff in their life and say, this happened to me so that I can say this.